Do you ever wonder why we worship the way we do? Why churches are run the way they are? And why on earth do we still trust the Bible as the word of God? Join us as we study church history, as we study the Bible, and as we study just a little bit of everything in between. Welcome to Back in the Day with Pastor Clay. Hey, how are you doing today? We're having a wonderful day today. I want to talk to you today about doing the right thing, even when no one looks at it or understands it. What do you do when you look around and everybody around you is doing the wrong thing, but you stand up and become the leader uh, to change everyone else's opinion? Welcome to this week's of Back in the Day with Pastor Clay. I want to apologize if my voice sounds a little off. I'm still fighting some kind of sinus infection. But I wanted to come and talk today about a man by the name of John Bradford. John Bradford was a fantastic account of what it means to be a leader when everyone else is a follower. Bradford was born around 1510. We actually don't know a whole lot of when he was born, but he was born uh, somewhere around Blackley, Manchester, England area. And he uh, had, a, had a life. He was born in a village. He was educated in grammar school. He was really good with numbers and, and money. And then he served under John Harrington uh, in Rutland as a servant. And through his good influence and his ability of auditing and writing, he gained favor and trust with the the Montreal siege. And he was eventually occupied as a paymaster during the, of the English army uh, during the wars of King Henry the, the Eighth. Now that's no small feat whatsoever. And he later would go into law school and he would become acquainted with the Protestant movement that was beginning to happen out in all of this. Remember, Martin Luther would nail his thesis to the, the doors of Wittenberg when, when Bradford was just seven years old. And so about 1548, he took up theology, a Protestant theology, and began to preach and teach. And he was eventually appointed as a pastor uh, of, of the church. Well, in the midst of all of this, there was turmoil happening in England. See, when King, King Henry the, uh, or I'm sorry, King Edward the sixth died in 1553 at only the age of 15, Edward or England was thrown into this rigorous turmoil. He was crowned at the age of nine and was serving as the, as a young king and Edward had been a sincere Christian, a Protestant Christian. And at the time of the Reformation, England, the, England in this was only about 30 years into the Reformation. And so that was a lot of influence for Martin Luther's uh, Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, to have taken on that such a young boy was already such an ardent follower of it. However, when he passed away, uh, it, it rose uh, L Lady Jean Grey, an evangelical, also Protestant girl who was only 15 years old, 
into the throne. And she was only sitting on the throne for nine days before she was removed. She was deposed and replaced by Mary Tudor. And Mary was uh, Edward's Roman Catholic sister. She was a devout Catholic. And she was determined. She was absolutely determined to reestablish the Catholic Church in England. In fact, Mary would go to remove legislation that removed Protestants from persecution that he, that that had just been passed, and so she imprisoned uh, Lady Grey, and later executed her for treason because of her faith. And so, in the midst of this, we find John Bradford, and Bradford, like hundreds of other pastors in England, was forced in 1553. To yield up his pro- to, to yield up his pulpit to the Catholic Church, and so Bradford's congregation was so used to the teachings of Protestantism that when a Catholic priest uh, came in, who by the name was Gilbert Bourne, when he came in, Bradford had to stand on the stage and quiet the crowd because of their heckling. In fact, it would become so bad that. Uh, during the sermon uh, that would change Bradford's life, someone actually hurled a dagger at the priest in an attempt to take the priest's life. However, Bradford had to step in, and in the midst of that, a fight broke out. And they chased both Bradford and Bourne out of the church, and they were trying to... no lack of a better term, kill Bourne because of the, what they perceived as his heretical teaching. They wanted Bradford back in the pulpit. They didn't want to hear the teachings of the Catholic Church. They wanted to hear that uh, this this Protestant movement that was happening, they wanted to go into everything that was uh, within the Protestant Reformation. But Bradford would admonish the crowd. He would continually put them down, telling them to... Uh, to, to resolve themselves, to, to calm themselves. And ultimately, uh, when they were fleeing, Bourne would manage to escape by Bradford's quite literal shielding of his body. But Bourne, wounded, would be arrested. And uh, three days later, he, he, was, he was met and he was arrested for charges of sedation. And he would remain imprisoned for 16 days months until January tw- uh, 22nd, 1555. The Roman Catholic bishops would question uh, Bradford. They would spend several hours asking him all these theological questions. And of course, Bradford, being of the Protestant persuasion, uh, much like Luther, was deemed a heretic. And he was uh, to be pronounced guilty of fostering the attempt on Bourne's life. And they sentenced him to death by burning. Bradford would spend the next few months in prison knowing that his end was coming preaching. He would preach the gospel, the the gospel of salvation by faith in Christ alone to his inmates. Well, one afternoon, a prison keeper came to him troubled and said, Mr. Bradford, I bring you heavy news. Tomorrow you are to be burned. Your chain is now abiding, and you must soon go to Newgate. 
And Bradford took off his cap and lifted his eyes to heaven and said, I thank God for it, for I have looked for some long time, and therefore it cometh not suddenly. The Lord make me worthy thereof. Early the next more that evening, Bradford said goodbye to his friends, and he made uh, that he had made all in prison and preaching and all of this, and he spent that evening alone in prayer, it said. He said he, he moved him that night to Newgate Prison where they were going to execute him. And the next morning, about nine o'clock, Bradford was led out of Newgate Field uh, to the stake where they were known to burn heretics. And as he lied on the stake, he lay face down on the ground and he prayed silently. And I wished I knew what it was that Bradford prayed. But I can imagine it was something, you know, as Jesus prayed as he was being crucified, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They've, they've lost their way. They have become so hardened in heart. Lord, forgive them. Then rising to his feet and removing his coat, he walked to the stake and turning to the, the young man who was going to be burned with him, he said, be of good comfort, brother, for we shall have a merry supper with the Lord this night. What encouraging words to send to somebody who was even younger than Bradford, who, who was even younger than him, and he was tied to the stake. He said, straight is the way and narrow is the gate that leadeth to eternal salvation. Few will be there to find it. You know what I love about Bradford's account is not only does he begin this, this, this conversation and in, in talking about how the theology and the errors of the, the Catholic Church at this time were, were, were that of uh, what we could deem as heresy, but also uh, that, you know, their ability, their willingness uh, to burn a man at the stake for doing what was the right thing. We have no doubt, historically, we have no doubt that had Bradford not intervened, uh, Gilbert Bourne would have died that day. Uh, he would have been quite literally torn limb from limb uh, and burned for his heresy. And I, I'm thinking of this, this, this passage of scripture because there's two things I want us to draw out of the Bible from this. First is what, is what Bradford says is that narrow is the gate. We live in a society today that values inclusion. We live in a society today that values opinions. In fact, we look at opinions almost more directly than we look at facts. In fact, if you have a fact that is opposing to an opinion, the opinion oftentimes wins. But the reality is we've come into a time where truth is subjective. Uh, it, it could or objective. It could be anything that you want it to be. Well, I could go out and say, well, I believe that an elephant is a marsupial. Well, it's not. But I, I digress here. We come to the point where he says narrow is the way. Narrow is the gate to eternal life. He, he's, of course, quoting the Bible when he says, wide is the path to destruction, but narrow is the gate. To, to salvation enter in through the narrow way. Can I be honest? A lot of people have missed the narrow way. We've given up biblical sound teaching for the tickling of ears. We've given up rock hard theology for feel good TED talks in our, in our pulpits. And a lot of that is a, what I would consider a, a born out of a culture of uh, our our generations 
because we've so desperately wanted to retain or to keep that certain uh, certain uh, generations that we have in effect created what I believe is a easy out for a lot of the generations. The second thing I want us to talk about, and which I'm going to tie into the first thing, is exactly what Bradford demonstrated. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we have this amazing account where where Peter is, is, is writing to the people and he's talking about honoring people. He's talking about loving through brotherhood, fearing God over all. And he says this in verse 18. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if you, when you sin, are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good, you suffer for it and endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you may follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was he found deceit, was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in turn. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. What I love about that passage of scripture, and it goes on and it's even better. Please go read all of all of first Peter because it's a wonderful book, but it goes on. And what, what, what Peter is talking about here is it's really easy to submit to those who we like. It's really easy to submit to our favorite leaders. But what about when we don't agree with them? You see, when Mary came onto the scene, she was doing horrible things. In fact, she earned the nickname Bloody Mary for good reason, because of her bloody nature and her 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 lustrous drive to reestablish the Catholic Church at any cost, any cost. And Bradford could have rose up. Bradford could have started an insurrection. Bradford could have created a unstable environment for, for Mary to be in. And I often beg the question, why not? And a lot of that is because if you know me for any amount of time, you know, I have a very rebellious nature. In fact, I thrive when people tell me I cannot do something because it challenges me to want to do it. I have a very rebellious nature. And so this verse for me often contradicts exactly what's going through my mind constantly. And the Lord surely works in wondrous ways because he continually works on me and loves me and continues to help me through all of this. But the truth and the, and the reality comes through this. Why? Why are we called to submit to those who are unjust? And it's because of this. If you walk through history, if you watch the reign of Bloody Mary, you see what happened when Bradford was executed, when there were several other hundred pastors that were executed for doing exactly what Bradford had done and stood up for the word of God. When you see what happened, their spirit wasn't broken. In fact, it was quite the opposite. 
this spurned on a new awakening in in the Protestant Reformation. And not only, contrary to every bit of Mary's wanting and trying to abolish Protestantism, it not only failed, but it doubled down on the initiative. Because God was glorified through the unjust. Listen to that again. God was glorified through the unjust. What a wonderful and amazing, wonderful and amazing God we serve that no matter what, he still reigns supreme. He still reigns supreme. But narrow is the way. Narrow is the gate. We one of our deacons preach at Licking River here last week. And what an amazing message he brought. But this was the heart of it. Narrow is the way. He used this illustration of a game that he likes to play with his grandson. And he said this. He said, are you still in the game? Because if you're still breathing, if you're still living, you're still in the game. But the moment, the moment that that last breath is drawn, you're out of the game. So you better be sure that you have secured the prize that Jesus offered through his, his sacrifice on the cross of salvation, through him and him alone, through faith alone, through grace alone. And you better be sure that you have accepted that before your last breath is drawn. Because by then, buddy, it's too late. You're out of the game. Hope you have a wonderful day. And we will see you guys next week.